Well, good morning, everyone. Hello, my name is Kenneth. This is my beautiful wife, Amanda. We're the Lombards. We have the great pleasure this morning of welcoming you here to service. We'd like to say hello to everyone out on the patio, everyone online. Um, we're so glad you're here. If you're new, we want to connect with you. We have several different places to uh, connect, and you can get a gift. If it's Father's Day, you get to walk away with a gift as well. That's awesome. All right? How many people are excited for Father's Day? Yeah? Yeah? How many people even knew it was Father's Day? Right? I was so disappointed. My kids, you know, they came into the room, and, you know, I was waiting for them to say, Dad, happy Father's Day. Just walked in the room like everything was normal. Like, it's just a normal, normal Sunday. My wife had to prompt them, hey, what's today? Uh, Sunday. Oh, Sunday, um, the day we do something fun. Oh, no, it's Father's Day. Okay, so anyways, hopefully you at least know it's Father's Day. But Father's Day can be, uh, you know, a lot of things for a lot of different people. For us, we lost our fathers here recently, so it can be a little bit, a little bit tough sometimes. So if you're in that spot, you know, know that you're being prayed for and that you're cared for and you're seen. Um, but, you know, this morning I was uh, snuggling with my daughter on every Sunday because I work normally early in the morning, and so I'm gone before the kids wake up. But on Sunday mornings, my daughter comes into the bed, and we snuggle, right? And, and it's, it's a special time. And I was realizing she's getting older, right? Like she's talking about boys and weird things, and I don't like them. Uh, but um, but I, I made a promise. She's that, seven, by yeah, the way. she's seven. <laughs> Antoine. Antoine, Antoine. Okay, okay. okay. I'm, I'm guessing Antoine's family is watching, but I hope they're not in the same class next year. Anyway, uh, I, I digress. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, I've made a promise that we'll always be cuddle buddies. And um, I was just really enjoying that sweet moment, you know, because soon, you know, she's probably going to break that promise, I'm guessing, and not want to cuddle with me every Sunday morning. But um, it just made me really appreciate how sweet it is to be a father. And it made me think about my dad. It made me think about all the awesome things and all the times he spent with me. But it also then made me think about our Heavenly Father and how blessed we are. I'm so stoked to come here today and worship God. And how blessed we are, because some of our fathers are dead. Some of our fathers were absent. Some of our fathers weren't maybe everything we wanted them to be. But the good news is that we have a heavenly father that's consistently awesome. That's consistently gracious, right? And so let's praise God with that mindset today. That was great. You rescued it. I was nervous where he was going with that. Um, we do have a few things we just want to tell you about. You might have noticed on your way in a little bit of construction going on. Uh, we are so grateful. We actually had this new playground in the front grass here donated and local businesses also donated their time to create this playground in the front for not only the preschool, which our kids have gone through three years each at New Life Preschool and it's amazing, but also for our kidsmen. And so we're so grateful to people who donated their time and also the resources. Um, so pardon our dust for a few weeks, but it's gonna be a blessing to the children that get to learn more about Jesus and get their wiggles out in this front playground. So it should be done in a few weeks. I know, isn't that cool? We can applaud, that's pretty exciting. Our kids just graduated, our youngest just graduated from the preschool and he was so bummed, but I know our kidsmen gets to use it too, so they'll get to use it at Sunday school. Um, the other thing we wanna tell you is that you might notice that some people are not here today because they have left for Hume. And so a lot of our youth are at Hume this week along with a lot of our leaders. And so we wanna just make sure that we're lifting them up in prayer. Hume is an amazing place. It's where I came to know the Lord and I'm so grateful for that place. Um, and we know we have, God has things in store for our youth that are there. So make sure as you're praying this week that you're lifting them up and that you are going to keep them in mind because it's gonna be a special week for sure. Uh, so with that, will you stand? I don't know how much you know about Hume, but one of the exciting things there is there's a giant blob. Have you seen it? 
where people jump on one end and they launch you into the lake on the other end. So I'd love for you to turn and talk to someone and say, have you ever been on a giant blob?
into that. Obviously, Lord, we've sung that so many times. But God, we, we see glimpses of scripture where there are people gathered around the throne room singing, worthy you were, worthy you are, and worthy you will be forever. Day and night, night and day, that is their song. And so God, if they are not gonna stop singing your praises, why would we, Lord? We lean into that reality this morning because you love hearing your children sing. And we thank you just for this time that we've carved out as a congregation to just set aside all of the other things, to declare your goodness and your, your power and your presence in our lives. God, as we continue, Lord, in this time of worship, would we not forget what you've done for us, that you've been there, God, that we've been able to depend on you. What a good father you are. What a good friend you are, Jesus. What a good helper you are, Holy Spirit. May our worship be in spirit and in truth. Would you take delight in what you hear this morning, God? God, we're reminded in scripture that when Jesus talks to his followers and to the Pharisees and to his, to his very good friends and family, Lord, he says that I don't do anything apart from the Father. So that is such a good reminder. Thank you, Jesus, that you remind us to abide and you help us to not do anything apart from the Father. Help us to operate in the anointing of Heavenly Father. Let every step that we take and every word that we speak be anointed by you, Heavenly Father, so that we can just carry your love into the world, so that we can carry your peace into the world, so that we could forgive those who are unforgivable, God, so that we could make amends in those places where the relationships have been fractured and broken. God, we are so thankful this morning. We're so thankful that we serve you. May we lay down all other idols as we come to you with pure hearts and pure minds. We see that you are most worthy of praise. Glory and honor and power be to you
morning as you are seated, uh, seated, seating, seated, whatever. As we sit here uh, and as you sit down, I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and continue in worship as we receive your uh, tithes and offerings. And one of the things I want to say as the baskets are going around is I just want to say thank you because I know earlier we mentioned Hume, but there are hundreds of teenagers and kids going to Hume Lake this morning and leaders and volunteers taking time off from work to be with kids this morning, and it's because of your generosity, and it's because of your willingness and your commitment to continue to give back to the Lord, and that we are literally pouring in to the next generation. Watch these kids come to the Lord, and so I agree with Kenneth when he said, please just keep lifting these people up, lift the kids up, lift the leaders up. It's exhausting, so, uh, but it is awesome. So uh, a couple things I want to tell you that are coming up that that you can look forward to, and that is July 2nd, we will be celebrating July 4th. And so the reason we do that is because we're all gathered here on a Sunday, and instead of coming back on July 4th, and of course we're a tourist destination, everyone's here, so we have the opportunity to gather as a family and to celebrate right after the 11 o'clock service. And so join us. If you want food, um, please buy your tickets ahead of time, but that is Sunday, July 2nd. And then next weekend, a week from today, uh, I will remind you that we have district assembly coming up where in the morning during the service, Pastor Vince, who is near and dear to my heart and to many of you, he will be retiring. And so you still have an opportunity to drop off cards at the connection counters to bless him, to tell him how much you love him, but also join us as we celebrate him because he's retiring And what he's doing is, is he's retiring in good standing, which means he's still going to be in our lives. He's still going to minister to us. He is still going to preach the gospel, and he is going to love on us. 
like he has loved, I mean, some of you, you know, he loves like no other. So pretty amazing man. So we will be celebrating him and the people will be ordained in the evening. So you can come back for that after that. And then two things today. One is you get to vote. Today we are voting for our board members. And so um, what you do is if you are a member here at New Life Church, we invite you to go to both connection counters, I think in the lobby, and where you will vote. If you're unsure if you're a member or not, there is actually a printout where you can look up your name and see if you are. If you are not a member and you're curious as to how to do that, then also ask that question. Someone will show you how to do that and how to sign up to become a member here at New Life. And then, of course, the one thing that I really want to focus on this morning is Father's Day, right? Happy Father's Day to everyone. So one of the things I loved about Mother's Day is when Pastor David had everyone stand and we gathered around the women, just not just moms, but every woman to reach out and to pray and to just lift up everyone. Well, this morning, I think we should do the same thing for the men. There is so many men in so many stages of life with, without kids who are pouring into one another. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I know it's weird, but please stand. I mean, standing's not weird, but... <laughs> And then if, look around you. If you see a dad, you see a man in the room, just gather around them. We're going to lay hands on the men this morning, and I'm going to pray and lead us in prayer as we pray over the men. All right. Will you pray with me? Holy God, who we call Father, we give you thanks for the people who have been our earthly fathers in this life. And we pray for all sorts and conditions of fathers, for fathers who have striven to balance the demands of work, marriage, and children with an honest awareness of both joy and sacrifice, for fathers who, lacking a good model, have worked hard to become a good father, for fathers who, by their own account, were not always there for their children, but who continue to offer those children, now grown, their love and support. For fathers who have been wounded by the neglect and hostility of their children. For fathers who, despite divorce, have remained in their children's lives. For fathers whose children are adopted and whose love and support has offered healing. For fathers who, as stepfathers, freely choose the obligation of fatherhood and earn their stepchildren's love and respect. For fathers who have lost a child to death and continue to hold the child in their heart. For those men who have no children but cherish the next generation as if they were their own. For those men who have fathered us in their role as mentors and guides. For those men who are about to become fathers, may they openly delight in their children. And for those fathers who have died but live on in our memory and in the communion of your saints whose love continues to nurture us. All this we ask in your name, your beloved name, Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Stories are the language of the soul. They have a way of penetrating the heart in a way few other influences can. This is why Jesus used storytelling so often to illustrate deeper truths. He knew the power of a story to cut through to the heart. 
These now famous stories are known as parables. They were Jesus' way to communicate an important kingdom principle in a form that we could remember and that would meet us where we are at. Although the details of these stories were fictitious, the kingdom principles are not. Today, they continue to remind us who God is and what he calls us to be a part of and how much he loves us. Good morning, New Life, and happy Father's Day to those who are dads, and thank you so much, and uh, just what a blessing so many men are to have mentored us and have poured into uh, the next generation and have become that father figure and stepped into that role, and we just want to, again, thank you and just honor you today. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this morning's message, and I began to think, um, you know, as a dad, uh, you know, during Father's Day is like, what, what, what's your like star score, right? Like, like there's this like this tendency to be like, hey, man, am I a three star dad or a four star dad or a five star dad or some days I'm a one star? Um, but like, part of that is because it's so ingrained in our culture that we assess things, right? Uh, if you remember back in the day, um, for those of you that remember uh, these two individuals, Siskel and Ebert, right? They were like one of the first ones that I can remember that were a part of what it meant to assess. So you either got one thumb up or two thumbs up, depending on how good the movie was. And, uh, and then as we progressed and we began to buy things from Amazon and we started paying attention to Yelp reviews and Google reviews and all that, all of a sudden it became the five-star system, right? So we're going to do some things this morning. We're going to rate some things because this is, I want you just to think about how ingrained our evaluation is uh, into our culture. And so uh, based on your most recent movie or Netflix special you watched or whatever you watched, um, the last thing that you watched, not like, hey, your favorite thing, but the very last movie you watched or TV show you watched, I want you to rate it a one to five, and you're going to raise up your hand here in a second and give it a one to five rating, all right? On the count of three, three, two, one, raise your hand. Oh, I see some fours, I see some fives. All right, all right, all right, put your hand down. Based on your last, and we're not, oh, I see one star. All right, hey, there, that was not, huh? Oh, the Dodgers. All right, all right, all right, you watch Dodgers. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, you have some sympathy here. Yeah, yeah, so, um, all right, based on, and, and we're not gonna call anybody out, but based on your last meal at a restaurant in our community. The last meal at a restaurant in our community. You don't tell what the place is. Just give your star rating. In three, two, one, raise your hand. Oh, I see some fives. I see some fives, some threes, some twos. All right, put your hand down. Put your hand down. Based on your last purchase, based on the last thing that you purchased, the outfit you purchased or the vacuum cleaner, if you're like me, that you purchased, uh, the last thing that you purchased, raise your hand. In three, two, one, raise your hand. Oh, yeah, all right. Put your hand down. Based on the person you came with, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. <laughs> we, won't, we, we won't go there, we won't go there. Yeah. All right, so, but here's the thing. So much of our life is, is wrapped up in this idea of evaluation, and so we're constantly asking ourselves 
this question, did I like it? Essentially, that's the question that we're asking here. When it comes to you know, our relationships, when it comes to uh, my preaching, when it comes to the music, when it comes to all kinds of things in our, in our world, we have been conditioned in our, in our culture to ask the question, did I like it? But when it comes to the parables, that was Jesus's furthest thing from his mind. Like nobody's coming up to Jesus after he gave a parable and say, hey, Jesus, that was a two star, two star. Like, nobody is asking, like, did I like it? That's not the purpose of a parable. A parable is actually designed to uh, have us engage questions that we don't really want to engage. It's designed to help us think more deeply about our lives and more deeply about who we are. It's actually designed to remind us about things that we should be thinking about or knowing. It's actually designed to provoke us to think about things differently, to see things from a different perspective. It's designed to refine the way that we understand this world. It's designed to confront us. It's designed to disrupt our lives. And so what's really difficult for us is in the majority of our life, we literally go through life with a star system above people's heads or above a product. In fact, I was in the store uh, just the other day and we were looking at something and we were like, oh, that looks like something good. And we, and we said, all right, uh, let's check what the reviews are, right? I was looking at a vacuum cleaner with my daughter yesterday to, to make sure that we had, um, you know, we've got, you gotta have a vacuum cleaner for everything. So this one was for like, to like vacuum out like when that crud gets in the middle of your car and like, like in between the seats, like it was to dig down in there. And so we began to look up the star system like, and the review of it. And so we go through life with this review system and we're constantly asking the question, do I like it or how does this satisfy me or what does this mean to me? And then we come to the parable and that's what we want to do. And the reality is, is that we should wrestle with it. We should be confronted by it. It should provoke us. It should ask us to look at our lives in a deeper way. And we're not always going to like it. So turn to somebody near you and say, I don't like that. Because even when you come to church, you come to church because you're like, I want to be inspired. You come to church and you go, I want to hear a great message. I want to laugh. I want to, I want to um, kind of be uh, encouraged about something. And then we get to the parables and you're like, man, I don't want to. Can we just push that aside? I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to think about that. I don't want to have to wrestle with that. But that's exactly what the parables were designed to do. In fact, if we hear a parable and we say, I like that you're probably not listening to the parable very well. <laughs> I mean, that's the, at the end of the day, that is not the goal of the parable, but it is to critique, it's to provoke, it's to uh, remind us about what, who we are called to be and who God is. And the parables come out of, uh, the parables are so grounded in Israel's history or what we refer to the, um, uh, as the Old Testament or what the Jewish uh, uh, people would have referred to as the Tanakh. And the Tanakh stands for an acronym that breaks down the Hebrew Bible into three particular sections. You have the Torah, or you have the Pentateuch in the Greek, and that stands for the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then you have this section of the prophets called the Nevim, and then you have this section of the writings called the Ketuvim, 
all right? And so you have these three different sections, and each one of these, as Pastor Philip even talked about last week, is in the minds of those who are listening to these parables. And as they hear these parables, it's all of a sudden critiquing and reminding and correcting and pushing them to see things differently. So if you have your Bibles, let's do that this morning. You can open up to Matthew. Matthew's in the New Testament, or the second half of the Bible. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament or second half of the Bible. And I want to give you some context for this passage because one of the things we learn when we study God's word and we read the text is that we need to understand the context within which that text is being spoken. And so when you come to chapter 18, as you're finding your way there, the very first thing that is the conversation of this particular chapter is who is the greatest in the kingdom? Essentially, what is my star? Or how do I become a five-star? And, and so you have these disciples who are really um, interested in how they make sure that they're not a one-star or two-star, but they're a five-star. And Jesus basically says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to become like a little child. We're going to circle back to that language at the end. And then from there, we move on to a parable that we'll address at some point during this series of the parable of the lost sheep. And in this parable, we get an understanding of the radical love of God, that God is willing to leave the 99 in order to go after the one. And then from there, you move into uh, verses 18, uh, chapter 18, 15 through 20 to deal with someone who sinned against you, someone who's a one star, right? Maybe, maybe they got no stars, like if I had, have you ever seen that review? If, if there was something lower than a one star, I would have given this place that, right? So this is somebody who has offended you or that has done something uh, against you. And it says in this, in this particular passage, it says that you should treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. For in our mind, that means, yes, I get to write them off, right? Like that's mostly what we think. But what we're gonna learn is when you treat somebody as a pagan or a tax collector, you treat them as somebody who is far from God and in need of his grace. Whew. I don't like that. I don't like that. And then right before the passage that we're gonna be reading through today, we read about this idea of whatever you bind on earth, uh, this idea of binding and loosing things on earth and in heaven, and there's this incredible language that so many people like to quote. And it says, basically, if if you agree about anything with others in my name, it will be given to you. And here's what begins to happen. People immediately go to, what should we ask for, right? Like, what should we ask for? How, like, what is the thing that is so big or that we can't do on our own that we should, be, we should ask for? But if you understand this particular passage in the context of what Matthew is trying to say in chapter 18, maybe we shouldn't be asking, what should we ask for? We should be asking, how hard is it going to be to agree? How hard is it going to be to be in oneness? How difficult is it going to be to forgive one another so that we might have oneness and can actually agree together? 
And somewhere along this line, somewhere, in this, somewhere within maybe the context of the teachings that Jesus has been doing, somewhere in the context of what Jesus has been talking about, Peter, who isn't short on bluntness, um, begins to have a question rising to the top of his head. I don't know who he's been offended by. I don't know who he's wrestling with to try to forgive. I just know that at some point, this is bubbling up in him. And in Matthew chapter 18, 20 through 20, uh, 21 through 22, it says this. Then Peter came to him, came to Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Not No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Peter's asking this question and he's wrestling with, how should I forgive somebody? You've been talking about this idea of oneness. You've been talking about this agreeing thing. And I know that there's somebody in my life who I can't agree with. Somebody that in my life that I can't, forgive. There's somebody in my life that I'm frustrated with. And for many of us, we wrestle with, okay, now what do I do with that particular person? And for some of us, we immediately move to this idea of like, all right, we have these imaginary conversations about the person that has offended us. Have you ever had one of these? Where you create this whole scenario in your mind about you having a conversation with this individual that, that has offended you or has hurt you and your argument is sweet. Like you've thought through everything and in your mind when you drop your knowledge on them, they're like, oh, I've been so wrong. And in your mind, you actually have other people that are like in the audience and they're like, oh yes, they're so right, right? Like, 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 their argument is flawless. They are so right about what they're talking about. And we create this imaginary scenario of how this is going to look. And for many of us, that's what forgiveness looks like. Whatever that is in our mind. For others, it's that we stuff stuff, Right? We just stuff things down. We just figure, hey, you know what? I'm just not gonna deal with it. I'm gonna stuff it down there and we're gonna try to ignore it and we're gonna try to just pretend that it doesn't exist and when we have to see that, pe- that person, we're just gonna get through it but we're really good at stuffing things. For others, the way we deal with forgiveness is that we share our story with everybody. Have you ever been in that small group? Right? Where all, some of you are like, oh man, <laughs> like, Pastor, you're not supposed to point me out like that, right? right? So, but what we want, what we're really looking for is validation. We want everybody to hear the story because we believe that when they hear the story, they're going to agree with us. And that's just one more kind of moment or, 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 or star of evaluation that we get to say we're right and they are wrong. And lastly, for some of us, we think this is what forgiveness is. That we're, Right? Like we're doing you, like when I forgive you, I am doing you a favor. Forgiveness is not about me, but it's about you and I'm doing you a favor. And Jesus comes along and instead of 
teaching us how to stuff things, instead of teaching us how to share things, instead of framing forgiveness in this idea that I'm doing you a favor, instead of framing uh, forgiveness in in any number of ideas that we have been raised to believe, all of a sudden he looks at Peter and says, Peter, you forgive 70 times seven. See, Peter thought he was doing really well at seven. Number of wholeness in the Bible, I'm doing really good. And Jesus challenges him. But that wasn't enough because Jesus then launches into a parable to explain what he's actually talking about. And in this parable, there are basically three different acts. It's like you're listening to or reading a play. And in each one of these acts, there's a little bit more of what Jesus wants to teach us. So Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 23, says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, remember last week, Pastor Philip talked this way. When you hear the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, those are synonyms, so they mean the same thing depending on what gospel you are reading. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Verse 24. In the process, one of his, one of his debtors was brought, brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now that New Living Translate, Translation ups, updates this language into kind of more common English and says millions of dollars. I'm not sure they go far enough. In fact, I think what it should say is zillions of dollars. Like that would actually make more sense based on what the original Greek language uh, communicates. Because in the original Greek, it's 10,000 talents. And in t- in if you were p- to put that in perspective, 10,000 talents is a um, $60 million worth of work wages. How long would it take you to earn $60 million of work wages? I already did the math for you, 164,000 lifetimes. So essentially what this person is saying is you ain't ever paying this back. The debt was so large and it was so insurmountable. It was impossible in order to pay this debt back. And it says that in verse 25, he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. That was the custom of the day. So Jesus knew, hey, this totally makes sense to everybody who's listening because that is, the, that is what would have been done in this particular day. Verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will repay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Act one, closed. So what are we learning? What is Jesus communicating? Jesus is communicating about the lavishness of God's grace. Jesus is reminding us of the lavishness of God's mercy and the lavishness of God's grace. And the reason that he's leading us to this is he wants to push on us and have us deal with something that we don't like to deal with. It pushes us to remember our sin and our debt of sin. When was the last time that you wrestled with your sin and the debt of your sin? 
When was the last time that you began to think about uh, what the Lord has done and what he has set you free from? When was the last time that you wrestled with just our brokenness and, and our sinfulness? We don't like that. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us unearth things in our life that we don't like to talk about. And our tendency is to want to minimize our sin. Our tendency is to want to minimize the sin that Christ has given us freedom from. Our tendency is to want to minimize the sin that Christ covered with his life, death, and resurrection. And so what happens is, is that we minimize all of this and we miss what it means to live into this reality of the kingdom of God. The second thing that sometimes we do is we say, hey, we're pretty good. Like I might not be a five star, but three and a half, I'm doing pretty well, right? And so we start to give ourselves a rating based on how well we think that we are. And the reason we give ourselves that rating is because we compare ourselves to other sinners. And we say, I'm doing a little bit better than that person. I mean, I'm not great, but man, did you hear what they did? Did you see how they acted? And in this passage, we get a picture of mercy and grace. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Some of you who are just returning from college know that you've got student loans. Can you imagine being forgiven of your student loans right now? I mean, just awesome, right? Can you imagine, do you remember the first time, I remember the first time that Dana and I paid off our very first car. You know how amazing that was? Some of you have had the privilege, I won't be for like 30 more years, of paying off your house. And just the privilege and how awesome that is to be able to say, you know what, that debt is no longer hanging over me. If you had zillions of dollars of debt, of someone who could sell you into slavery, of someone who could place you in prison until you could pay it off, which the reality is if you're in prison, you're not making any money and so you're never paying that off. If you have just had your debt forgiven, what would your response be? I think we know what we wish our response would be. But again, parables aren't designed to make you go, oh, I like that story. They're designed to provoke you, to disrupt you to unearth our maybe less than stellar tendencies. So we read on, Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 20, it says this. But when the man left the king, he went to follow, he went to a fellow servant. So the one who had been forgiven this debt goes to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. In kind of that day's context, about a hundred days worth of work wages. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay. Does this sound familiar? He pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full, apt to the absurdity of cheap grace. 
when somehow you don't realize the grace that you've been afforded, when somehow you spurn the grace that God has afforded to you, there is a significant amount of debt owed, and yet the one who has been forgiven now has no mercy and no pity and no compassion and no patience with the person who owes him. Now you think this is petty, but we get petty, right? Like some brilliant civil engineer thought it'd be a great thing that on the, on the 101, as you go back from San Luis Obispo to go from two lanes to three lanes, back to two lanes. I'm glad you get the sarcasm. <laughs> but that doesn't keep David from being petty. Because when I'm in those two lanes and somebody goes into that third lane and tries to speed up, and I'm in that middle lane, I ain't letting that person back in. <laughs> right? And I create a whole narrative about that person in my head. They hate puppies, <laughs> right? Like, like by the end, like that's what it is. It's like, I'm not letting you in. Yeah, yeah, you think you're in a hurt. You think you're more important than me. You think you're this, you think you're that. And that's in traffic. What happens when we're really offended? What's the narrative that we create then? And one of the things that's being communicated is that the gospels and our lives in real life is littered with people who confess Jesus with their mouths but have never been transformed. Who actually have experienced at some level the grace of God who maybe at one point prayed at an altar of prayer or, or when they were at the end of their rope or when they, were, when they were in their car and everything was falling apart in their life or they were back in college and they didn't know where to turn or they found themselves in a sticky situation or somebody was walking away from them or any number of things were falling apart in their life and they cried out to the Lord, have mercy on me. And they recognized in that moment the debt that they have and the, and the life that, that was falling apart and their need for a savior in that particular moment and they experienced the grace and the forgiveness of God in canceling the debt that they owed and then they go out and they have zero transformation. They don't walk in Jesus' ways. In fact, they're very similar to the parable that Pastor Philip preached, on, preached last week where the seed finds itself being choked out by weeds and thorns. Where the seed finds itself on rocky soil and being picked up and carried away. Where that seed doesn't get good roots. We receive grace so that we can give grace. We receive forgiveness so that we will give forgiveness. And this is the moment where it's so easy to have this conversation or to say this phrase, but David, you just wouldn't understand. You don't know what they did. You don't know how deep that hurt goes. 
You don't know. You don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't. I don't. And in no way am I absolving that person of what they did. And in no way am I minimizing what they did. And in no way is God minimizing what that person did. In fact, what he is saying is the debt is great. And I think at times in order to be people who receive forgiveness and give forgiveness, because life is so hard and because it's so easy to be hurt by other people and because it's so easy to find ourselves um, in a position where we have been deeply wounded by somebody else, we need reminders of what forgiveness looks like. Because if we're called to be people who have received forgiveness and then give forgiveness, we need reminders of what that looks like. In fact, if you go later on in the book of Matthew, you find this individual who is who's, um, an unnamed woman in the book of Matthew, and, and sometimes she's given a little bit more um, clarity to, her, to who she is in other gospels. But in Matthew, she's named an un, unnamed woman. She walks in, and she breaks a bottle of perfume over Jesus' feet, and she begins to weep and begins to wash and anoint Jesus' feet with her tears and with this perfume and wipe them with her, with her hair. This is in the midst of a Pharisee's house who looks at this individual and says, man, do you know how many people she has offended? Do you know how many people that she has wronged? Do you know how many marriages that she has broken up? Do you know how many uh, problems she's caused in our community? And yet Jesus offers forgiveness. And another gospel says, the one who is forgiven little loves little. The one who has forgiven much loves much. Which takes us back to the first act and says, hold on a second, I need to remind myself, oh, but for the grace of God am I standing here. Oh, but for the grace of God. I am a broken, sinful I am unworthy of the grace of God, and yet he extends it to me. I am unworthy of his forgiveness, and yes, he forgives me. And I wonder, when that woman's anointing and she's breaking that perfume, I've shared this with some of you before, I have to imagine that some of that perfume fell onto the ground and seeped into the dirt or into the wood boards, or whatever stone was there. And I imagine at very least for maybe a month or so, but maybe quite honestly longer, that you could go over to that particular spot, and if you got close enough to it, that you would smell that perfume, and you, re- you would remember once again that act of forgiveness. In fact, Jesus said, where this woman's story will be told everywhere, And so you have this reminder of the grace of God. The one who has been forgiven much, loves much. Act three. 
When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man who he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? When the, when the angry king sent the man to prison to be, then the angry uh, man, uh, angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow. Act three. True followers of Jesus. A true disciple in the framework of this parable wouldn't respond like the first servant did. One who had experienced the grace of God, one who had experienced the mercy of God, one who had experienced what God had done in him or in her would find themselves responding in that grace. And one of the pictures that we get in this final act is just the, the frightful fate of those who find themselves living as, as those who will not or refuse to forgive others. In other passages, we hear this. You called me Lord, Lord, but you never knew me. That's essentially what we're reading here. You said that you knew me, but you really didn't. And in verse 33, it says, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had mercy on you? One of the hallmarks of the people of the kingdom of God, one of the hallmarks of what Jesus is communicating through this parable is forgiven people forgive people. But it's not easy. It is incredibly hard. In fact, it's one of the reasons that on a regular basis we partake in what we refer to as the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Because in that act of coming forward and receiving Christ's broken body, which was broken for who? For me. Why? Because of my sin. And in consuming that juice, which represents Christ's new covenant, which was, be, was made through his shed blood, for who? For me. Why? Because of my sin. That we are not just gathered here together to give a star rating, but to be shaped and transformed by the Holy Spirit. And so when we gather together, we deal with these really hard things like being a forgiven people who forgive others. As Christ is shaped in us. So while we pray a prayer like the Lord's Prayer, and remind us on a regular basis, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive those who have trespassed against us. As we forgive our debtors. And it sounds so incredibly hard. And guess what? It is so incredibly hard. Difficult because what we're doing is we're saying, God, I am allowing you to be Lord in this situation. You have not called me to call people to an account um, for what they have done. You have called me to forgive and allow vengeance to be yours, as he says in Romans. That dealing with that person is going to be, uh, is, is given to the Lord. 
Now, one of the things that's challenging about this parable is, uh, in parables in general, is that they're not always one for one. I think we try to go through a parable and say, oh, this means this, and this means this, and this means this. Sometimes Jesus tells a parable for purely shock value. And one of the things that is so radically shocking for the hearers is that, that somebody who chose not to forgive would experience suffering. I mean, we want options, right? We want to make them pay. That's an option. You hurt me, I hurt you. You punch me, I punch you. You do something to me, I am just waiting the day to get you back. That's how this world operates. For some of us, we pay for that debt, but we pay for it ourselves, and we carry around that burden the rest of our lives. And we kind of swallow it, and we, we kind of hold it in, and yet it is destroying us from the inside out. I think one of the reasons is that unforgiveness gives us a false sense of security, a false sense of safety, a false sense that somehow we're doing something about it and they didn't just get away with it. But what we learn throughout the scriptures is that forgiveness is slow work. Forgiveness, like so many things in the kingdom of God, have an already not yet experience that you experience a level of what it means to forgive somebody, but it may be something that you're going to have to bring before the Lord every day until he returns, or you see him face to face. And yet forgiveness, as told in this parable and as told throughout the Gospels, is the mark of what the new covenant community looks like, so much so that we should see forgiveness like breathing, according to this parable. That we breathe in the forgiveness of God so that we can breathe out forgiveness to others. Take a breath and then breathe out. That we would breathe in the forgiveness of God and breathe out Forgiveness to other people. How do we know that? Because in Jeremiah chapter 31, the prophet writes, I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. For everyone from the least to the greatest, remember that at the beginning of this chapter, at the beginning of the chapter, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will again remember their sins. And so God is giving us a model for what it looks like to forgive. Now, this is where I gotta stop because some of you are really relevant Wrestling right now and say there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is allowing God to do the work in you and to deal with the person who offended you. Forgiveness is releasing that person of the debt that they owe you so that you're not walking around life saying, that person owes me a debt, that person owes me a debt, that person owes me a debt. Because when you do that, it will eat you alive. Forgiveness is about not plotting revenge on somebody. Forgiveness is about how to not carry unforgiveness to the next generation so it impacts that next generation. Forgiveness isn't actually about the other person. 
It's about you. It's why Jesus in this parable makes the consequences for unforgiveness so stark and so intense. Because he knows that if you carry around that unforgiveness, you will destroy your life. Whereas reconciliation, reconciliation requires a proper response from the one who has done the offending. Without reconciliation, without genuine repentance and change in behavior, a relationship cannot be renewed. The way of forgiveness is God's invitation to us because he knows that grudges and revenge will only lead to your death. And so he invites us not to say, whoo, I really like that. Whoo, that was a five star. He invites us to unearth the things that are slowly chipping away at us. The things where we just want to put somebody in their place. The things that we just harbor within us. And so I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And I want you to, we are going to spend some time, which we do periodically, in silent reflection. And I want you to be reminded of a couple of things. First thing I want you to reflect on is this. Reflect on the depth of your sin. Allow your mind to go back to when you experienced the grace of God for the very first time. Don't just look at yourself and say, I'm a good person. I'm okay. You had a debt of sin that you could not And then I want you to think about the depth of God's love for you and his grace and his mercy for you. I want you to think about the fact that he loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die and suffer on a cross to declare his love for you. He paid your debt. As we're sitting here in quiet, I want you to begin to focus in on your breathing. And I want you to think about the idea of forgiveness. And you are inhaling the forgiveness of God and you are exhaling forgiveness to others. Inhaling forgiveness to God and exhaling forgiveness to others. And then... I want your mind to go to a person who you wrestle to forgive, who has hurt you deeply. And I want you to remind yourself that forgiving them does not absolve them or make okay what they did.
but it does set you free. It does allow you to move on. It does stop giving them power over you. And I want you to consider saying just a short prayer. God, would you give me the strength and the wisdom and the supernatural power to forgive them? Not because they deserve it, but because you know that if I don't forgive, my life will end in destruction or I will pass that unforgiveness on to the next generation. And then I want you to pray this. God, if in your providence and in your supernatural ability, you would somehow be able to reconcile our relationship. Would you make a way for that? If it's appropriate, would you give us a divine conversation? Would you do the supernatural work in their life and in mine. Heavenly Father, I love that your scripture doesn't sugarcoat things. It doesn't just kind of push things to the side. It doesn't pretend that hurt isn't real. It doesn't pretend that somehow unforgiveness isn't there. It doesn't pretend that somehow we just kind of skate through this life and we're never offended and we're never hurt and everything just simply goes right. God, your scripture reminds us that in the kingdom of God, it's not about perfect living. It is about kingdom living, life-giving living, living life to its fullness. And you have declared that forgiveness is a pathway to life. So God, would you help us to sift through our hurt and our suffering and our pain and our resentment and our grudges and the abuse and the words that struck so deeply, would you help us sift through all that and follow your pathway towards life? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm very well aware of how heavy a message like this can be and how many things it can stir up. And so I wanna let you know about a couple of things. First of all, up at the front, we have a prayer team that would love to encourage you, to pray with you, to remind you that you are not alone in this journey of forgiveness. The second thing is that we have a care and counseling center. And if you wanna stop by on one of our connection centrals, they can help you get connected to our care and counseling center. And uh, because this is, this is a beginning for some people, but it is not the end. And it requires doing some of the difficult, hard work of forgiveness ongoing in order to have that forgiveness really take 
root in our lives. So as you go today, may you find yourself following Jesus in the pathway of forgiveness, which is a pathway to life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.